Welcome. This episode we'll be talking about bedtime routine modelling. Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. She handed in her PhD master's thesis four days before her second child was born. It was a stressful time. Um, so I was pregnant. I My thesis was due pretty much when Beth was due to be born. And of course, the thing with pregnancy is you, you can't be sure that that due date is, is when things are actually going to happen. So it was quite stressful working towards a deadline that could well move forward um, unexpectedly. Um, so Xander seemed to sense that I was pretty stressed at that time and it was during that period when um, Xander decided to, well, uh, between six months and that time, which was probably a year and a half or so, he'd been very easy to get to sleep. So we'd do our our bedtime routine and then put him in bed and he'd fall asleep by himself and stay asleep most all, all of the night, most of the time. Um, but during that period... Um, he suddenly started just absolutely screaming blue murder if we put him in his cot. And so that routine suddenly stopped working and we needed a lot, a much more hands-on approach. Um, we ended up transitioning to a bed around that time, which in hindsight was a bit early, but um, the cot just wasn't working at the time. Um, so, yeah, it meant that the bedtime routine went from a very hands-off and I had a lot of time for my PhD to a very hands-on and I was sort of lying there with Xander and doing a version of the gradual withdrawal approach, which I don't think I've told you about yet, but I will soon. Um, so, but it wasn't really working because Xander didn't really want me to move very far from it, from him at all. And I was lying there getting more and more stressed about the PhD I needed to be doing and Xander was feeling my stress and not falling asleep. So it was, it was a very rough period then. Um, but the, the relevance of this is that I think it was really modeling that helped us get back on track. Um, the first time when I first got Xander to sleep through the night, which was about six months, I think modeling was a big part of it. So, um, when we started having issues again later, um, I fell back on the modeling system again. And that's what this podcast is going to be about is, um, modeling and how you can use it and when it will work and that sort of thing. Um, okay. So if you want any of the references or any of the notes from this episode, you can go to practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash model. So it's forward slash model for this, um, this episode. Okay. So to give you an outline, I'll be looking at how I've used modeling. Um, I'll be looking at modeling principles based on the research and just briefly, I'll touch on other applications of modeling because there are many. So, at that point that I was talking about, when Xander was about a year and a half, though, I, we went with the hands-on approach for quite a while before um, I had the time to really implement this. So it was actually after, just after Beth was born that I sort of implemented this. Um, I, I created a Good Sleeping Xander book, um, and that book had photos of Xander in every point of the routine. Um, and it basically outlined clearly our expectant, our expectations of Xander. Um, so it went through the routine, um, so what he can expect there, and then it went through, um, importantly, where I would be when he was falling asleep in his bed. Um, so it showed him in his bed and me out in the lounge room, which is not very far at all from his bed. We've got a small place here. Um, 
And so it showed that I wouldn't be in his room, but that I would be close by. Um, and it also went through what he should do if he wakes up. So um, if he wakes up and it's dark, then he should grab a drink of water and turn on his seahorse and go back to sleep. But if he wakes up and it's light, then he can come in and say good morning to mummy and daddy. Um, but that's since changed. Um we now get him to look at his clock and he gets up when his clock says seven. Um, that works much better with the changing light situation during the day, which was waking him up early. So using that Good Sleeping Xander book was effective. Um, it wasn't immediate, um, so it certainly wasn't that night when um, it just played out as per the book um, and it wasn't even the next week. Um, it I remember thinking it was frustrating because I felt like we'd make progress one night and then the next night we'd go backwards again. Um, at that stage, she was sleeping in our bed a lot of the time um, and it certainly wasn't a consistent decrease in the amount of time he was in our bed. Um, but if I if I sort of looked at it each, every sort of seven or ten days, I did notice massive improvements from the previous um, 10 days. So looking at day to day, it felt like we were going forwards and back. Um, but certainly looking week to week, there was definitely improvement. Um, and I think it was within a couple of weeks or so that he was pretty much um, routinely sleeping through the night in his bed. Um, definitely by three weeks he was doing that. Um, but well before that, he was settling his in his bed fairly easily and... Uh, and not coming into our bed very often at all. Okay, so that was one of the ways we used modelling. Um, so it was Xander's Good Sleeping book. Um, so that was when he was about two years old. And when Xander was six months old, um, we used the Dream Baby Guide recommendations. Um, that's a, a book by an Australian author, um, and it worked really well for us. And I'll go through... Um, all of those strategies in a subsequent post um, or subsequent podcast. And if you, you're eager to see them, you can go straight to the Dream Baby Guide review um, on my webpage at practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash DBG for Dream Baby Guide. So DBG for Dream Baby Guide. But I think that the modeling was an important aspect of that. So we did the so how we did the bedtime routine modelling was we, um, at that stage, Xander was, you know, six months very small in arms. So he'd be carried by by usually Tim, my husband, um, sometimes my mum, and they'd basically follow me around while I put a teddy down for a sleep. Um, so I'd do the whole routine for the teddy and then I'd go and take the teddy into into bed and tuck him in and do the, the patting and singing that I did in bed and then I'd we'd all walk out of the room and close the door and listen at the door um, and an interesting recommendation from the dream baby guide was that we then made the crying sound um, and made it sound like Teddy was crying and then we'd walk in and pat him again um, and initially I thought that was odd because I thought that we were sort of modeling that they should cry once they're in their bed um, but actually that strategy seemed to work really well for Xander. Um, that's not to say it will work for every baby, but um, with Xander, we'd, it was at that point when we went into the crying teddy um, and we were patting the teddy without picking him up, just patting him, um, that Xander would, seemed to really empathise with Teddy and he'd, he'd start 
crying at that point too. Um, but of course he was in, in someone's arms, so they'd comfort him. Um, and each subsequent time that Teddy cried and we went in, um, he'd, Xander would, would cry less and less and fuss less and less. And I think that was a really important part of it because I think, um, he seemed to actually get that, um, that's what mum and dad would do. And it's actually a safe environment and that he doesn't need to be scared. Um, Interestingly, that that's how it worked with Xander, but it didn't really work that way with Beth and the modelling didn't really work with Beth either. Um, with Xander, we implemented um, the strategies from the Dream Baby Guide, including this modelling thing for the three days prior. Um, and the night that we implemented this, he slept through the night and it was just amazing. Um, he went down for the first time without crying and then slept through the night and I thought, wow, this is magic. Um, with Beth? It hasn't really worked that way, so they're all different. Um, so I'm not sure what it is, maybe um, just differences in the baby. But, yeah, Xander really did seem to empathise with Teddy, whereas um, Beth has seemed not to care that much about what Teddy's up to. So I presume that this modelling of the what we do when the Teddy cries um, is actually sort of providing comfort and familiarity to that scenario that uh, Xander initially was quite a scary scenario um, and by repeating it a few times and showing that we're calm about it and he's getting comforted throughout, I think it must have been just providing comfort and familiarity, familiarity around that situation that would otherwise have been scary for him. Okay, so let's get on to the actual science of modelling. Um, so modelling is known to be very important um, and it's largely been researched through the lens of Bandura's social cognitive theory, which was developed quite a while ago. I, I can't remember. I think it was 60s or 80s, a, a long time ago. Um, but it's it's been studied a lot since and been up. there was an updated version around 2011. Um, so it's certainly one of those theories that's hung in there. Um, as, as you'd know, um, theories that don't really hold water tend to be um, got rid of fairly quickly through testing, um, but this social cognitive theory has hung around. Um, so basically there are four principles to making modelling effective based on this theory, um, and I'm going to go through each one in turn and how that would actually play out with um, with using it for bedtime routine modelling. Um, so first of all, uh, the child needs to be paying attention to the modelling. Um, which makes sense. Um, so things you need to consider in this case are things like attention span. Um, so to accommodate for the attention span, you might need to do a shorter version, um, especially um, with babies. The younger the baby, the shorter the version needs to be that you're, you're modelling. And I think attention span might have been an issue with Beth. Xander's always had a very good attention span, very long attention span, but um, Beth less so. So um, that could be could be a reason why it worked for Xander and not Beth. Um, you can also use a favoured toy, so one that they'll be interested in watching, um, but preferably one that they don't feel they have to play with all the time or won't get um, disturbed if they can't play with it. Um, also limiting distractions, that's another thing that may have changed because, of course, when I was doing this for Beth, uh, often Xander was running around Um who is a gorgeous little distraction that she loves to watch. Um, 
And another thing is you can be expressive throughout the routine. Um, so just be a, a little bit more expressive than usual to try to keep their attention. Um, but the idea is that you are doing the routine to the teddy, not to the baby. So, so the majority of the um, eye contact and that sort of, sort of thing should actually be with the teddy during the modelling. Um, the second thing to do is to remember um, is that the baby or the child needs to remember the demonstration or the message. Um, so obviously there are memory capacity issues. Um, so I looked into what sort of things can babies remember. And even from as young as six months, babies can remember things that happened the previous day. Um, and they see this by, for example, modeling how to play with a certain toy. And then they'll notice that the babies who had it modeled the day before will play with that toy the subsequent day. Um, so that, so babies even from six months do seem to remember. Um, but the younger they need, the more repetition they need. Um, so for example, I'm pretty sure this was with six months olds. Um, they found that they would more often than not replicate it if they had done it six times the day before, but not if they'd done it three times the day before. Yeah, that was with six-month-old. Um, and also younger babies can't shift context. So, for example, Xander's book um, wouldn't have worked with a six-month-old because they, they can't shift the context from the book to reality. Um, and you also couldn't necessarily model the um, routine in your house and then expect them to go down at, at your parents' place or vice versa. Um, so from in terms of context shifts, six-month-olds were found not to be able to shift context at all. So if they saw something modelled in one context, they wouldn't repeat it in a different context, even though they would in the same context. Um, Twelve-month-olds were just as likely to replicate or not in a new context, um, so that was touch and go and probably depends on the baby. Um, six, 18-month-olds were most likely that they would replicate uh, e even in a different context. So from about 18 months, um, extrapolating here, but you could probably start using sort of books and that sort of thing from about 18 months, providing that your child is interested enough in books to keep the attention span um, long enough to, to be interested in that book. Um, the third thing is they need to be able to do the task. Um, given that we're talking about falling asleep here, we know that they can do that. Um, but if you're modeling something else that's more complex, obviously the ability to actually physically carry out that task is important to being able to model it or replicate the modeling. Um, so with sleeping, you can make this easier. So just look after their comfort needs, that sort of thing, dry nappy, um, warm bed, all that sort of thing. Um, and the fourth thing is they need to want to do the activity um, that you're modeling. Um, and obviously with falling asleep, that's sometimes a bit difficult, but um, you can work towards this by, for example, having them go to sleep at the same time each night. Um, so that would set their body clock so that they're ready to sleep when you're trying to get them to sleep. Um, and you could use the faded bedtime approach, for example, to try to get that happening. Um, and we talked about that last time. So if you missed that, uh, go back to the last episode. So now let's move on to looking at um, other applications for modelling and there there really are as many as you can think of. Um, so I've heard of people using these book strategies to wean babies off milk, for example. Um, they're also really useful for just role-playing how to use toys. 
um, also role-playing social scenarios, um, especially with kids of um, toddler age like Xander. Role-playing social scenarios can be really helpful. I've noticed that Xander almost sort of automatically seems to work through these things with his toys. Um, often when he's upset, he'll tell me that Batman's crying, for example. Um, so it, it evidently is quite a natural step for him to try to work through what he's feeling um, using his toys to almost try to distance himself perhaps, um, but still learn from it. Um, Robert Fulgen, and I'm Fulgum, and I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, um, says, don't worry that your children never listen to you, worry that they are always watching you. So, of course, those examples I just gave are, are, are times when you're intentionally trying to model things, but, of course, you're unintentionally modelling things all the time. So this is just a really good reason to to watch how you act and it's um, it's a good motivator to try to um, get rid of some of those bad habits. I know people try to curb their swearing when they become parents, some people do, um, and that sort of thing because certainly um, children will imitate. And it's the same with playing with toys, for example. If you're um, just just playing roughly with the toys, then then they're going to model that um, and possibly in real life. So, so it's... Um, it's interesting because it, it means that if if you live and you react and you behave the way you want to um, and you're the person you want to be, um, then that's great because that's that's one of the best tools you can really have um, for teaching children um, because this modelling is something that is happening all the time. Um, so, yeah, a good motivator to, to sort of uh, make sure your habits are good ones as well. Okay, so that's it for this time. I, I think it was quite a short session this time, but I guess that's not a problem. Next time we'll be talking about teaching emotional regulation, um, which is certainly a big thing throughout the toddler years um, and also for, for getting to sleep because that is a form of emotional regulation, settling to sleep. So this podcast comes with a number of free resources. Uh, you can access them on my website at that forward slash model Uh so on that page, you'll find a video of me doing the um, sleep routine with Beth, if you want to check that out. Um, and you can also sign up to my newsletter for editable, editable versions of the Xander sleep book. Um, so if you want to make your own sleep book, for example, you can just um, throw in your own, your own photos and you're ready to go. Or you could even try it with, with Xander's photos um, some kids identify well enough with watching other kids do things as well. So, um, yeah, you can access all of that on my website. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, bye. <music>